like to start this evening's reflection with another very short chant. Anicca vata sankara upada damino upakituva nirujanti te sa upasamo suko And this means all conditioned things are impermanent. Their nature is to arise and pass away. Knowing this brings the deepest happiness, which is peace. So this is the topic for this evening's reflection, Anicca the truth of impermanence, of change. As you know, this particular teaching is a part of the Buddha's teaching about the three characteristics of our experience, also known as the three marks of existence impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, selflessness. And tonight, the emphasis is really on this first characteristic or this first mark of existence. But really, as no doubt you know, we can't totally separate out the other two. But I'm going to be looking at things from this perspective this evening, from change, impermanence. It's said in the teachings that the full comprehension of these three characteristics through our own direct experience is what makes up liberating insight. The full comprehension through our own direct experience. So I'm offering tonight's thoughts and reflections about Anicca as a reminder, as a guidepost, a kind of support for your ongoing practice because it's really there in your own practice through your own direct knowing in your own bare non-conceptual awareness that this truth of anicca can be known on that level of liberating insight. And I think that's important to emphasize. We're so accustomed to knowing things conceptually, intellectually, and this has an important place as well. I don't mean in any way to negate that kind of understanding even in our spiritual practice, 
It's very important. But we do need to take that conceptual knowing, that intellectual understanding, and let it guide us into the fullness of experiencing these truths, these teachings, in a very alive, moment-to-moment way, on the cushion and in our lives. This is from the Buddha's teachings about anicca. What is born will die. What has been gathered will be dispersed. What has been accumulated will be exhausted. What has been built up will collapse. What has been high will be brought low. All conditioned things are transitory. Those who realize this are freed from sorrow. This is the path to freedom. It's so striking, really, I think, this, uh, that the fact of a Nietzsche or impermanence, it kind of presents uh, a powerful and beautiful paradox. And the paradox is that these changing phenomena that make up our lives, from one perspective, from the perspective of objects of desire, objects of our attachment, from that perspective, the changing phenomena of our lives are just devastatingly unfulfilling. But from another perspective, those same changing phenomena that make up our lives, when we take them really as a very important part of our practice, as objects of our mindfulness, They are the very path to awakening. As I thought about this this afternoon, it seemed as though, in a way, these two perspectives could be seen as uh, samsara and nibbana. Samsara, that state of being attached, and the suffering of that attachment. And Nibbana, the freedom of non-attachment to these changing conditions of our lives, of our experience. The ego tends to grapple a bit with this truth, with this teaching. Often, perhaps not in your experience, uh, 
But for many of us at different times, the ego meets this truth of change with a response of fear. The ego, the sense of self, seeks certainty, stability, security. We don't like insecurity and instability so much. That I, me, my pattern that we call ego, it's threatened by change. What is it that we call I, me? What can we hold on to as mine? In a way, it's kind of ironic what we fear, that we fear the change. We fear this truth of change. We don't, at least right away, without really looking, without really examining this in our own experience through practice, we don't naturally fear the clinging. which would really make much more sense. (laughs) All of our futile efforts and attempts to hold on to what is constantly changing, what is in flux, in flow, arising and passing. And it's the habit of ego to take everything (laughs) so personally. I'm sure you've seen this in your own experience. So the very fact that we can't hold on, somehow the ego takes that personally. Like we really should be able to. You know, if only, it's the if only mind. If only I were a better yogi. You know, if only... I were more skillful in my practice. If only I had a better handle on really being with the breath. If only I were more careful in my life, more clever, smarter. Then, you know, I could perhaps keep things nice. Keep things more the way I like them. Avoid loss, change, endings, separation. How often do we get trapped in that pattern on the cushion? I don't know about you, but I've gotten trapped in it quite a bit in my life. It's a hard truth to open to, even intellectually, that everything that we love, we will lose eventually. 
life itself on this lovely planet. It's not going to last forever. In recent months, I've had the opportunity to spend part of a day each week uh, in a, a nursing home where my mother now lives uh, very close to my home. And this is kind of a recent development in the last year. She was at a greater distance before that uh, and living in her own home, and I saw her less frequently. And now she's being well taken care of in a really nice place. Um, And it's nearer where I live, so I can visit. So it's so interesting to spend time with the elderly. You know, my mom, but also just, you know, over a period of months going in there, I'm kind of getting to know certain people, even if peripherally. Uh, And just seeing the different places that they all are in terms of ease of being in their situation. And it's striking, you know, when you get to be really old, you lose a lot along the way. You know, my husband's mother lived to be into her 90s. And almost all of her siblings, which were many, had passed before her. All of her close friends were gone. Such an interesting thing to live to be old and experience that kind of loss. How do we make peace with that fact, with that deep truth of change? And what does it mean to love and lose and let go? It doesn't mean that we stop loving. The fault, there's no fault in loving. But I think maybe really letting in the truth of anicca, of change, helps orient us in a way that makes us more interested in knowing what it means really to love, the difference between love and attachment. And this doesn't mean that we're not still human beings and that we don't still experience the range of emotions that human beings experience, such as a sense of loss, of sorrow or fear. But I think really holding this truth, really looking at it again and again, deeply connecting with it in our own experience, helps us to navigate that terrain, those kinds of feelings of loss or sorrow or fear, much more skillfully so that maybe we're not drowning in them. So 
several years ago, next door at the retreat center, I was giving a talk on the three characteristics. So talking about impermanence in the first part of the talk. And an acquaintance uh, of mine was on this retreat. It may have been her first retreat. Um, And when the talk was over, she quickly got up and followed me out of the hall and wanted to talk. So we went into the office next door at the center, and she was really unsettled. She'd really let it in on another level, this characteristic of our experience that things change, that we can't hold on. And so she was feeling a lot, uh, in particular around her role as a mother, with an adolescent, pre, just pre-adolescent child at that point. And she was crying and just saying, I can't imagine, what if something happened to me? How could I leave you know, my child? It was very touching and uh, a powerful moment, made even more so in retrospect, because just a few years later, she was diagnosed with cancer, young, and she died fairly early at a young age when her child was still a teenager. I sometimes wonder whether there was some kind of knowing on some level on her part, like some kind of premonition or something, and of course I can't know. But I think she had already, you know, just in hearing this talk, started to navigate that terrain of what it means to love and how to let go. I also saw her over those few years, and especially at the time of her illness and through her death, really come to terms with it. That fear that arose that evening listening to the talk seemed in some ways, often this is the case, harder to navigate than the actual experience of living through that kind of thing, letting go so deeply. So we open to this truth of impermanence in many ways throughout our lives. And I'm just going to touch on some of them. First, inwardly. What do we see through our meditative experiences? We come to a place like this where we go to our quiet spot at home and we sit or we walk. We practice returning to the present moment over and over again. And over time, the mind quiets enough so that there's 
an increase in continuity of attention. And the result is that we see more and more clearly the way things actually are. We see this truth of change on every level in the way that the Buddha talked about as being the road, the doorway to a liberating understanding through our own experience. So we see it very clearly, tangibly, perhaps somewhat easily in our physical experience, in physical phenomena, in the body. The body is such a perfect foundation for mindfulness. It's so tangible, so knowable. Is there anything fixed or static? Even in this moment, sitting here. See if you can find something. On the surface level, it can seem that there is. But when we really look with that continuity of mindfulness, that penetrating awareness, really look into our experience, what we find is movement, is flow, is change. Many arisings and passings in every moment of experience, in every aspect of experience. What about the breath? Breath is a perfect meditation object because its nature is to flow, to change. So we learn how to direct the attention to something moving, changing, and yet to stay steady with it, to keep coming back, to keep looking. What is it? Quite a flow of changing sensations that we call breath, body. What about pain? Pain is a powerful, often demanding teacher, but very uh, engaging. (laughs) Can be compelling when we have uncomfortable sensations arising in the body. Hard not to pay attention on one level. And again, as I'm sure you know in your own experience, it's not some solid fixed thing, you know, some unchanging lump of pain. It's throbbing or pulsing or burning heat And maybe it's the space in between those arisings. It's quite powerful to teach people to be with pain in this way. I mean, this is really what they do in the uh, programs that are in hospitals where people are learning to be mindful. They might not know 
that they're practicing a Buddhist form. Maybe they do. But they're learning how to be present with pain in the body. And there's remarkable results in terms of them finding ways to navigate that terrain through just being mindful of it. Measurable results. All of our experience at the sense doors, is any of that not changing in hearing, in smelling, tasting, touching? And what about seeing? This is an interesting one, and I saved it for last on the list because I think it's often one of the harder areas to be aware of anicca, of impermanence. The field of seeing, that perception, it's so closely linked with concepts, what's being seen. They arise so readily that it can be challenging to drop beneath those ideas about what's being seen and just be with that experience of seeing. Try it. Experiment. See what you notice. So that whole realm of physical phenomena In so many ways, uh, this physical body is our great teacher of impermanence. If we have the good fortune to grow old and we're willing to pay attention and really see what's happening, there's no denying this truth of change. Recently, when I was at my mother's house, starting to clear the home out and prepare it for sale, I found a bunch of old photographs. And it's interesting to look at those old photographs of family, of myself, of friends. And I brought one home that was this very sweet photo of a dear friend. I I think maybe we were about... 15 at the time. And she's sitting in a snowbank. It was a winter then like it has been this year. (laughs) And so she's sitting in this deep snowbank with this hat sort of tied under her chin and just so kind of young and sweet looking. (laughs) Although we weren't entirely sweet at 15, (laughs) I can say. (laughs) But she looked really sweet in this photo. So I held on to it for a while, and then it was her birthday recently, which would have been her 55th, so 40 years since that photo was taken. And so I sent it to her for her birthday. just said, I found this at my mom's house, thought you might like it. And I got an email from her just yesterday 
saying, you know, thanking me for the photo and saying, gosh, I look so innocent. She said, I feel like I've lived about 10 lives since then. And then she said, are we even the same people we were back then? And I thought, that's a really good question. (laughs) Not really. It's an interesting one. There's something in the development of a human being where there, I can see ways in which I'm very much the same as I was when I was quite young. Certain aspects or orientations or something, patterns, I guess, that have been with me from early on. And in other ways, you know, not a single cell is (laughs) here that was there then. How do we relate to that change as we age? I find it a great place to practice. (laughs) A great place to practice letting go. And remembering to orient with what's important, what I find really important, underneath appearances and trying to hold on to anything. So there's that whole physical realm, you know, even in the aging of our bodies through time in this life. And then there's the whole realm of mental phenomena. This is all changing. And sometimes that's really good news. There's this famous saying that goes way back. I don't really know the origin. It's posed as a question. What is the one thing that makes the happy person sad and the sad person happy? That one thing is that everything changes. (laughs) So sometimes when there are persistent arisings of what's challenging, persistent arisings, certain patterns of thoughts or emotions that are hard, that are difficult terrain, our deepening understanding of anicca can really help us ride it out. This is a sad person made happy. But like the saying goes, (laughs) it's so easy to get caught over and over in grasping after what we like. So those difficult arisings pass, and then what's arising is pleasant. Maybe it's tranquility. Maybe it's concentration. Maybe confidence. And then that passes. And perhaps the happy person is sad. (laughs) I thought that the saying more accurately should say the the attached person (laughs) rather than the happy person. What makes the attached person sad? (laughs) 
when things change. Yeah. So those moments in practice that we experience, moments even of peace, I mean, that's why we're practicing, right? To be more peaceful. But even those moments of peace or understanding or stillness, they're subject to change. They will change. They, in fact, are changing already. But we keep hoping, you know, that we'll get to that place or we'll find that something that will last and that we can take it, you know, kind of keep it with us, take it into the future, into the next moment. This is really one of the great gifts of uh, periods of practice, you know, allowing yourself, offering yourself, giving yourself this uh, time to spend some time in practice because we see these cycles of change. It's inevitable. We can't miss them (laughs) if we're paying attention. We see that things change. We see a cycle that I like to think of as peace and purification. Where there's some steadiness, some calmness, some ease, and then there's arisings of difficulties, hindrances, whatever it is that we find challenging. Or maybe it's a cycle just of energetic imbalance in practice where there's a deepening calm and tranquility. But then we get sleepy, we fall asleep, we lose connection. The next thing we know, we're restless. That can happen. Cycles of understanding where we feel like, ah, I can see, I'm seeing things more clearly. And then confusion is back. Over time, over periods of practice, over the course of our lives, over the years of placing ourselves on these cushions and being committed to seeing clearly, we learn that we can trust these cycles. We can trust that there's something there in every moment for us to see. There's that possibility in every moment to let go of clinging, of wanting things to be a certain way. So rather than thinking that something's wrong when uncomfortable states arise and working really hard to you know, get rid of those states, we learn to be still, to be with them, without clinging, without resistance, without confusion. That's what meditation is, making room for all of it, the whole of it, the joys and the sorrows. And as we do that, as we open 
over and over, moment by moment, to this changing experience, we see more, we grow in understanding. That understanding deepens, it matures, it really develops into the wisdom that's the wellspring of a deep peace in our lives. It's really the wisdom of letting go. And again, it's born out of that direct knowing that all phenomena is arising and passing away. And it's doing so according to natural laws of cause and effect. This is really a gateway to freedom. We see the futility of holding on to what's changing. The only thing we can do is let go. And we see that when we're able to let go, there's ease, release, Or as Ajahn Chah said, if you let go a little, you will have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. And if you let go completely, you will have complete peace. Your struggle in this world will have come to an end. sounds so easy. (laughs) Letting go, doesn't that sound like it should be easy? (laughs) Just letting go. (laughs) It's not so easy. We're deeply habituated (laughs) to hold on. But what a wonderful thing to practice. What a gift to be able to practice it. with so much uh, intentionality. Here in New England, it's really true everywhere, nature can be such a great reminder, a great teacher about change. Happy spring, by the way. Yeah, spring just started (laughs) yesterday. And I have to say, it's been a long winter. I've really enjoyed it because I like snow, but uh, it's been a long time since we've seen the ground or smelled it or, you know, seen any (laughs) much color out there, like a little bit of green or brown (laughs) on the earth. So we were just starting to have... (laughs) big expanses. I was watching the snow recede in my yard from the house, you know, and I was like, wow, and the garden, the vegetable garden was emerging, you know, as the snow was melting. It's like, oh, I can see the garden beds. Now there's just some snow between the rows. It was really nice. In fact, Eric, who's the director of the Forest Refuge, he walks to work from where he lives. He has this lovely commute that's like pretty much through the forest. 
he lives uh, the housing that's partway around the loop. So he can walk from his house through the woods and across the beaver dam at the end of the pond and up Lilac Lane, which is the path next to the little house across from the meditation center. And well, he just has to cross Pleasant Street, you know, a few steps on the pavement, and then he walks through the IMS property over to here through the woods. Nice commute. And he said it was just this morning that he could do the whole walk on the earth <laughs> without having to walk on snow. <laughs> And now, after it has snowed all day, we're back to that world of white. It changed. It didn't last very long. (laughs) But stay tuned, because it's going to keep changing. (laughs) You know, there's that New England... It's probably true everywhere as well, but I've heard of it as a New England saying, you know, if you don't like the weather, just wait a minute. It'll change. (laughs) I had these little crocuses blooming, you know, in my yard, purple and white. They're buried now. (laughs) Some years ago, uh, when I was first writing a talk about uh, the three characteristics, uh, I was talking to a dear friend on staff at the time, and I was telling her about how I really struggle in the summer here because it's so short. (laughs) Summer in New England, it's just really, it kind of goes by (laughs) quickly, especially um, when you have attachment to swimming like I do. So I really love swimming, and so I try to swim. And I live near a lake, which is a great good fortune, so I swim often, uh, but it's never enough. because the summer goes so quickly. And my friend, who's a little bit cynical and had a great sense of humor, she said, oh, she said, you have the wrong attitude. She said, you just have to think of summer in New England as a long weekend. (laughs) And I took it on as an experiment, and it really helped. (laughs) It's like, yeah, okay, it's like a long weekend. Like, well, then anything beyond that feeling of a long weekend was great, you know. But if I didn't try to hold on to what summer was like when I was young, when I was a kid, where it seemed like it went on forever, no, it's like a long weekend when you're you're my age. You can try it if you're attached to summer. Thich Nhat Hanh, a yogi, gave me this quote by Thich Nhat Hanh, who has such a, a kind of sweet, often sweet way of looking at the Dharma. Uh, quite uh, powerful, but there's a sweetness there. So she gave me this quote about impermanence. If there is no impermanence, the grain of corn will remain a grain of corn forever and you will never have an ear of corn to eat. Impermanence is crucial to the life of everything. Instead of complaining about impermanence, we might say, long live impermanence. (laughs) Thanks to impermanence, everything is possible.
everything is possible. So nature can be our teacher. Just watching the changes, and we, we accept them so easily, so readily, even appreciate them, the changes in nature, the change of the season, of cycles, the changes in a garden where the seed does turn into an ear of corn, and then the corn dies back and the birds come and peck at the last grains left in the garden, and then the garden gets buried in the snow. It's beautiful. And sometimes we're presented with some really significant losses or challenges in our lives about, not about, but uh, that are the truth of change. How are we with them? I have a really dear friend who... uh, often has very powerful teachings in her life. This is a friend that I met through the Dharma. We met uh, at the end of a 10-day retreat many years ago. And she's completely devoted to waking up, to freeing the heart and the mind. And even though our paths have taken slightly different routes over the years, we share that, uh, that interest. And there was a period of, I'm not sure how many years, but not that many, where she had several really sudden losses. First, she lives in a lovely home in California near the coast. And she left home one day to go do some errands. And when she came back, her house was on fire. And she lost. I mean, the structure still stood, so she was able to uh, renovate it. But she lost a lot in that fire. Huge being with something like that. Then when she was rebuilding, she had a bunch of people working on the house. And one day... uh, There were several workers. They were outside at the time. And she's the kind of person who's very gregarious and very friendly and interacting with people, you know, all the time. So she was getting to know these workers. And one day, one of them wasn't feeling so well. And he was outside in the hot sun. And so she said, well, come on in the house, you know, get out of the sun and let me give you a glass of water and, you know, just take a break. And he came in the house. And as she was getting the water, he collapsed. He had a heart attack and died on her floor while she was on the phone with 911, you know, trying to figure out how to help. And then this friend who had uh, some significant savings, enough that she felt confident about someday retiring, had invested these savings in a way that turned out to be not wise. She couldn't have known at the time, but it was a fraudulent situation. Not like the one that you read about in the news, but same kind of deal. And she lost it all. And it's just been so interesting to be close to her through these major life events, 
which of course were accompanied with emotion, with some fear, uncertainty, sadness, overwhelm. But all along this strong motivation toward understanding and toward freedom, really, toward insight. I watched her move through them, through these situations in a very skillful way, which didn't mean that she didn't struggle. She did for a while. But very quickly, she was able to focus on what she still had, her health, her friends, the ability to love. It's been very powerful, even for me, just knowing her as she's gone through these things. She's really fine, totally fine, more than fine. She grew through those experiences and the way she held them, the way she opened to that profound level of change. This is a passage from the Dhammapada. The mindful ones exert themselves. They are not attached to any home. Like swans that abandon the lake, they leave home after home behind. Such a beautiful image, swans lifting off from the lake. So where do we make our home? In meditation practice, really, we make our home in knowing, in seeing clearly, in aligning with the truth, with the way things are. And this includes very deeply this truth of impermanence, of change. And again, the ups and downs, the cycles in our practice are so important we get through being with them over and over again that it all changes. Sometimes it takes a while (laughs) to really get it, but we do get it. And meanwhile, before we've really gotten it, we're cultivating wonderful qualities like patience, acceptance, trust, compassion. We learn to let it all come, let it all go. In letting every moment change, letting it pass in a way, letting it die, this allows us, this enables us to be more and more fully present. And I think more and more able to love. (laughs) Wisdom is knowing the causes and the end of suffering. It's knowing 
the truth of impermanence and the happiness, the peace of non-grasping. So please keep turning your minds to the knowing of this truth in your own experience, in every moment's experience. The Buddha said, it's better to live a single day seeing the momentary rise and fall of phenomena than to live a hundred years without seeing this. To close, I'll just chant again. Anita Wata Sankara Upadawaya Damino Upakituwa Nirujanti Tesa Upasamo Suko All conditioned things are impermanent. Knowing this brings the greatest happiness, which is peace. Let's sit together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.